0: Welcome to the Serious Seminar this week. Um, we have with us uh, Maggie uh, McElpine, McElpine, uh, yeah. McAlpine uh, from uh, MITRE. Uh, she's going to speak to us about ransomware and the future of cyberware. Go ahead and take it away, Maggie. Thank you. Okay, so you can you can
1: see the uh, title screen right now, the notes version. And yep, yep. we'll launch right into it, guys. Thank you for your patience. Really apologize about that. Um, just a quick disclaimer. This this set uh this presentation was actually put together back when I first agreed to do this panel uh when I was still at Cyber Reason. I'm since moved on to MITRE in the last few months. So if there's uh stuff that's a little bit out of date, again, I deeply apologize. Um, this is not what we are what I've been working on these days, but it should be give or take two months. Depends on how bleeding edge you wanna be. Um, but basically what I'd like to get into is uh, a little bit first, I will uh, just introduce myself. My name is Maggie McAlpine. Um, in the past, I've been I've been in the cybersecurity world for about twelve years now. I've been um, in and out of a lot of security minded startups, as well as the election security world. Uh, probably best known if you were to like Google me for other appearances uh, doing election security work with the DEFCON voting machine hacking village. Um, and back and uh, back in. Uh, beginning of August, actually, I, I moved on to MITRE, uh, where I'm with the Center for Threat Informed Defense, with, which is a nonprofit um, geared towards creating uh, MITRE attack-friendly tools for practitioners uh, on a pro bono basis, uh, really some fantastic uh, tools coming out of there. Um, but I continue to be personally fascinated by ransomware so uh, and, and the criminals that conduct it and what it could possibly mean for the future, um, as this presentation says, of cyber warfare. So... Um, I, I don't totally know the the breadth of experience with um, ransomware and tech in this audience. So if I say anything that's terribly condescending, please forgive me. This is meant to be given to a wide audience. And I like to open with um, the definition of ransomware just so that anybody who somehow ended up in this room in this audience uh, who's been who doesn't know what it is and is at this point too afraid to ask um, can can quickly get up to speed. Uh, so I use the CISA.gov definition of ransomware from 101 uh, as the ever-evolving form of malware designed to basically encrypt your files um, and hold them against you. You know, extort them against you. It is, uh, you know, one of the things I find most interesting. Quote unquote. You know, obviously, ransomware is terrible, and that goes throughout. We're going to say that throughout this, but like one of the things I find most personally interesting about ransomware is it's sort of a return to form for one of the oldest forms of crime and extortion. I have something that you want and I will give it back to you when you give me money. Uh, and then you just have to decide if you're going to pay and uh, whether or not you trust a criminal to actually give it back to you after you've paid, if you do. Um So with this in mind, uh, let's dive into kind of the forms that ransomware has taken. It's basically ramped up over the years. So um, this is a just sort of a rough, rough timeline, obviously slightly out of date, of some of these attacks. And and the only thing I don't like about this particular one, this names just some fairly major uh, attacks that have existed over the past what like thirty years now. Um, but and going all the way back to the original malware, but. It doesn't really show the logarithmic increase that we've had in ransomware since I want to say the mid 20 teens. Um, the real, there's been some question around why there's been this sort of sharp rise in ransomware back in like, I want to say 2016, 2017. Uh, we saw more, um, small scale ransomware. We saw it hitting individuals. We saw it hitting um, civilians like grandma, you know, give us $500 and uh, you will unlock your computer for you again. And there was even a certain degree of mercy that we would see in the early days where like if a criminal hits somebody who like an individual who like really couldn't pay, um, they might let them go. And that is just not the case anymore. It's become completely industrialized. Uh, They're going after big targets. They're going after um, people who can, you know, pay money, uh, good money. So, uh, and what this has been aided by, we can, we can debate. It might be increased processing power that allows quick encryption, uh, but also one major like point of maybe not blame, but just uh, you know, cause for why we've seen this huge increase in ransomware over the last few years is most likely to do with um, cryptocurrency, uh, making it possible to quickly move that money from one place to the other without you know all the other difficulties one might have had before it. Uh, th- this anonymous currency that can be you know transferred through various wallets. Now the U.S. government has had some success limit recently in clawing back some of those funds, and hopefully that will go a ways towards just. Dis- um, Making ransomware less popular uh, as an attack, but and maybe even slowing it down. But uh, the ransomware has been a, a sharp increase recently. So why do why do attackers choose ransomware specifically? Um, basically, all all hackers are choosing between several different um, impulses, motivations, uh, how the impact of their attack, the complexity of it, uh, and the popularity. Um, and like us, most most. Um, People most most hackers are also people. They are motivated by what is easy and what is lucrative, so they are going to go for these things. Um, but as I said earlier, it has become something of a mechanized industry. Um, it is, I think, probably one of the best ways to define it is almost as a dark Silicon Valley. Uh, all of the you know cleverness and um, you know pipeline that you might see at universities for the best talent, all all of the. Um, Uh, R&D, all of the looking for the cutting edge tools, all of the industry tracking, all of the uh, HR headaches uh, actually exist in these ransomware uh, cartels uh, in their sophistication. So we've had something recently that was called the Conti leaks, Um, basically at the beginning of the conflict in uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, we had one of the more foremost ransomware groups, the Conti group, uh, basically declare themselves openly in favor of Russia, which may not have been wise of them to do because uh, not all of their hackers, not all of their employees were Russian. Uh, and in fact, some of them were Ukrainian. Um, it's a little bit not sure. I think I might be behind on this, but it's not entirely sure who released this information. It might've been an outside researcher. It might've been insider. I think it, the theory when I saw it was that it was an, a, a, a Ukrainian insider who basically released all of their internal slack and like call logs and everything. Um, all of their, excuse the term, all their bitching about HR. A lot of them wanted to get time off. Their you know complaints about how the higher-ups were getting more profit share than the grunts down below. Just all very like typical corporate stuff. Uh, in a very funny way, and uh, I believe Brian Krebs, uh, of Krebs Security, is the one who gave uh, who went through all of that and uh, basically disseminated it for easy, you know, con- uh, understanding and use. So, if you're ever curious about the internal workings of a dark, you know, organization like um, Conti ransomware group, uh, definitely go check that out. That's a definitely a plug I would want to push along to you guys. Um, so. That's one reason we're seeing this mechanization. Now, keep in mind in the cybersecurity world, we are on the defensive. We are always a cost. We always have to weigh risk um, versus uh, investment. So if you're going to be in a cybersecurity company someday or uh, providing cybersecurity for a company that you work for, you're going to have to justify your budget. Um, you are going to be on the cost side. And so maybe they don't want to put $5 million a year into something that maybe one in a hundred times is going to cost us $2 million. Um, so that's not the case on the attacker side. The attacker side, they are the sales guys. They are the profit guys. They get whatever they want. They get the Lamborghinis and the baby tigers and all the craziness because they are the ones who bring home millions of dollars um, to their companies, so it's it's a really fascinating ecosystem. I, I think cartel is perhaps one of the better words for it in terms of its sophistication, um, but uh, at the at the risk of getting too deep into the weeds on that, I was going to talk about a few major attacks that have happened recently. Um, there was a real cluster of, again, you, I mean this pejoratively, but really fascinating attacks that happened in, uh, last year in the summer of 2021, uh, late spring, early summer of 2021. Um, we had possibly our, uh, in the end, uh, just to go backwards through that, Spring Hill Medical Center, just to quickly mention that, uh, lest we lest we uh, think that these guys are, you know, in any way good, um, ransomware gangs tend to go after uh, targets that cannot um, afford to go offline. Among those will include hospitals uh, and medical centers. And there were a lot of ransomware attacks, for example, in the Irish healthcare system during the height of COVID. And we have right now, I believe, still the first case possibly of ransomware leading to someone's death, which was a hospital that got slowed down by a ransomware attack such that a infant in the ICU uh, passed, passed sadly passed away. And there's actually evidence, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence um, from the cybersecurity world, um, from CSOs of hospitals saying that they think that the number is much higher. It's just harder to prove when the slowdowns caused by ransomware attacks, uh, lead to deaths. Um, so just to be clear, this is not just totally like, you know, we're going after the evil capitalists. That's kind of like the, the, the rhetoric that a lot of Russian hackers will put out there. This is, this is caused deaths. Um. The, the two big ones, though, um, and I'll end on Colonial because that's the one that's going to kind of launch me into the rest of what I'm talking about, uh, was the JBS meat supplier and then the Colonial pipeline. The Colonial pipeline uh, is an interesting one because it is – they shut down basically one of the major oil pipelines of the Southeast United States, which effectively counted as critical infrastructure. It provided um, – Oil and gas for the and fuel, you know, for that entire sector, the the word got out that this attack had happened, which caused a run on gas. Uh, there, they had not actually run out of supply yet, but that uh, from my election security days, I can say sometimes the appearance of an attack or an appearance of uh, of a consequence caused by an attack can be worse than the attack itself. So, people thinking there was going to be a run on gas caused a run on gas. Um, that being said. Uh, I've heard uh, in Chatham House Rules talks that actually, even though a colonial pipeline uh, was stopped, uh, they managed to negotiate with the attackers, which was the dark side gang. They managed to pay them uh, to to release the systems within a few days about, I think, something like two million at the time in cryptocurrency. Uh, And the U.S. government was actually able to claw much of it back later. uh, So it's kind of an interesting success story it might have it could have gotten a lot worse uh there was a cso i overheard who was tied up in the airline industry who basically said the hartsfield jackson airport atlanta which is the first or second largest uh, airport in the united states was 3 days away from running out of fuel uh which would have completely stalled out the entire airline not just a commercial uh, not just a consumer but also the commercial so um this raised a this really kind of put the us government on alert because uh, this attack uh, really kind of showed the vulnerabilities we might have to something like a ransomware attack if it gets lucky on that scale, um, and how it could cripple an entire region. So that really got everyone kind of waking up, paying attention. Um, this actually probably should have moved this one sooner. I kind of already covered it, which is just some of the uh, some of the. Uh, statistics, it's its super out of date too. It's like from 2019 of how much they've increased over the years. And uh, this increase in the ransomware attacks and in an the increase in the, in the uh, cost of the payment. But let's just jump forward a little bit to um, how are they forcing these guys to pay? Um, the reason, as I mentioned earlier, they're going to go after targets that have a, a short amount of time uh, to make this decision, uh, one one just pro tip for your personal life is you can kind of spot a fraudster or a scammer by the fact that they're going to try to force you to make a decision while your um, brain is on fire, while you're while you're in a state of stress. Um, now, what was so interesting about the dark side gang uh, with the Colonial Pipeline hack was that they didn't just extort with one or two threats. They didn't just say we've got your data, pay us, we'll give it back. They are going to go after you. One, two, three, even four ways. One, they're going to do. Once they have your data, they're going to extort you by doing things like saying that we're going to tell the news, we're going to tell journalists that you've been hacked. Uh, We're going to go after trading so that we're going to let this information go, such that your stock will be short sell sold. If you don't pay us um, once or twice, we might take all of this data we have and release it on the dark web. So they're just going to piece out every single way they can make you pay once they have you, um, because they are trying to, of course, make money. And now that they have what you need, what you want, they're going to get it every single way they can. Uh, and this is just the actual quote uh, from 2020 uh, of um, one of the things that Darkseid put out. Now, what's interesting about Darkseid's little little uh, rant, you know, note here is that they also have some claim to principles. They're saying things like, we don't go after hospitals. Not always true. Uh, we don't go after funeral services or education, universities, nonprofits, and government sector. This is... Um, interesting because first of all, you have to take their word for it that they're telling the truth, but it's interesting that they feel that they need to clarify this because one would think that as a criminal, you just wanna make as much money as possible. Um, when really, uh, they it's actually seems like it's a recruiting, wep- a recruiting tool on their side that they do only go after supposedly these evil capitalist targets, um, like Colonial Pipeline and others. Um, and uh, to phrase this correctly, if they are getting better talent by recruiting this way, or are they getting more sympathy from this sort of PR, like kind of what does that say for the sophistication of the sector? Which gets me into um, a, a little little bit of a weird tangent. Uh, and I hope you'll forgive me. this does build to how ransomware, I think is going to be used in actual application, um, theoretically in real life in cyber warfare. But when I saw this ransom note from Darkside, Uh, I'm a a huge history buff. Um, That's kind of my first passion, my first love. So Dark Side Gang, they hacked the Colonial Pipeline. They realized that they're in a lot of trouble because this is not the slow-moving fuel company that they thought it was who just didn't have a decent cybersecurity defensive posture and that they could just sort of roll over and make a lot of money from, oh, no, this was borderline critical infrastructure, and now the entire U.S. government is on them. So they put out a statement saying, we didn't know, our bad. Uh, we are apolitical. We don't participate in geopolitics. We just want to make money. We're criminals, but we're honest criminals. Um, and we're going to work with the the victim to unleash all of this, to to, to take care of the, all this. And I thought, geez, that really reminds me. I've seen a note like this before. And, uh, and this is going to be a weird lateral jump. But and the answer was from the 1600s. Uh, there was a pirate, an arch pirate, who was quite famous at the time, but probably doesn't make it into like the top 10 these days all that often, unless you kind of really know your stuff. His name was Henry Every. He uh, was caught, he, he would make the claim he was, uh, that he was an Englishman who was a pirate who wouldn't go after English targets. This gained him a lot of popularity and fame back in England. It kind of gave him a certain amount of shelter. Uh, he was basically only supposedly going after English enemies. Now, uh, this was not entirely true. As I said, uh, criminals tend to lie sometimes. Uh Henry Every puts out a letter after he's caught going after English ships that he said he wouldn't go after. Uh and he basically said, I, you know, uh, this is a lie. I have never I am yet an Englishman's friend, uh, and I would never do this. And and uh I, I might be a criminal, but I'm an honest one. Uh I, so I sort of was going, oh well, that's interesting. Why are these criminals both kind of echoing each other? Why are they putting these principles forward? Why aren't they just saying, yeah, I'm a criminal. I just get it, you know, you know, money wherever I can, and I would never hit state targets. State targets that might get me in trouble. And I began to dig a little bit more. And Ryan Krebs uh, put an interesting tweet out around the Colonial Pipeline hack, where he said um, basically that the the Colonial Pipeline hack had a bit of code in it to prevent Russian targets from being hit. So remember Henry Evry doesn't go after English targets. Um, Ru- the, the Dark Side Gang was was um, putting in um, a line of code that basically made it so that anyone who had the Cyrillic alphabet as their primary keyboard on the computer would be avoided by the ransomware. And that was to basically not um, make a mess where they eat. So they wouldn't get. They were sheltered in Russia and they did not want to run, end up on the wrong side of all of that. Um, and I thought, well, that's interesting. That's a little bit like the way pirates would run up of the flag. Pirates didn't usually fly under the Jolly Roger. They would fly up the flag of the ship they were about to attack. Um, that is so that they would have, uh, you know, ca- camouflage up until they got fairly close. Um, and also avoid, um, you know, for you know, uh retaliation i guess to, to a certain amount of extent so you've got this this very interesting ransomware gangs are now this one attempt to not hit certain targets well that already makes them somewhat politically aligned um and not just blanket criminals and i wanted to delve into that a little bit uh one last pirate example uh another one slightly better known named benjamin hornigold was a former english privateer um who also refused to hit English targets. Uh, His crew mutinied on him during a lean year, uh, basically saying, we can't afford to not go after English targets anymore. Uh, And he uh, was taken out of command and left that crew. Maybe they should have listened to him because the English came down on them like the fist of an angry god. and he went on to become a pirate hunter in a story of black hat to white hat, uh, you know, rehabilitating, quote unquote, these these uh, former black hat hackers to now go after their former competitors and colleagues. Um, and so uh, so it just sort of further reinforced this parallel and and this way that maybe um, pirates and, and hackers today are acting similarly. And I actually found this to be a very um, not just compelling, but. But encouraging parallel because piracy has been with us pretty much as long as as ocean seaside, you know, seaborne commerce has existed. There's been people stealing things on the ocean and they, we've been projecting force on the ocean for as long as I suppose anyone could make a boat. Uh, in terms of warfare and things like that, so are we seeing sort of this evolution where um, the internet is almost becoming its own ocean, uh, where proje- where power is projected there, where nation states tangle there, where uh, commerce takes place, where communication takes place, where consumer um, interactions take place, and where consumer uh, assets and data exist now too. And um, and as this as this territory becomes more real, more sophisticated, are we maybe needing to better define for a wider audience how not all hackers are just criminals. Some of them are state-aligned. Some of them are maybe uh, better described as Navy. Uh, For example, um, just to jump up to here, the nation-state connection. Are they state-sponsored or state-ignored, which is what I was classifying as a privateer, essentially? Um, Are they Completely criminal, just money motivated. They'll go after anyone, including their own grandma. Or are they, for example, completely state aligned? So I would argue, for example, that North Korean hackers should never really be defined as purely criminal. Uh, and it's uh, almost um, dishonest to, to define them as such because it's not like anybody in North Korea has a computer that they're using without like state state you know, encouragement, uh, within the state structure. So if you think of North Korea as sort of like a Navy, then you think about, um, the Russian hacker army, uh, which has this sort of interesting permeable relationship with those in power in Russia, where they might lean on them for certain tasks. Um, they might lean on them a bit harder when they're expected to participate in certain tasks one way or the other, because they get shelter from them. Um, or do they, um, uh, do they actively, you know, work for the GRU? Um, you know, how, how is that relationship there? And then there's also, and this is a little, I don't delve quite as much into them, but there's also some question about the privateer connection around, say, some Chinese hackers who might work for the Chinese government, but the attack they're doing is on their own time. So kind of like we've given you a ship. We have these targets you want to hit. If you want to hit these other targets, as long as they're on the allow list, it's fine. You can make, you can enrich yourself. You can improve your skills. You can, uh, improve, you know, you can make your own profits on the side as kind of part of the bonus package of, of, of keeping those skills up to snuff. So that we, we, it's kind of a, I think ultimately a useful metaphor for describing these relationships to people like policymakers, people who might not be deep in the cybersecurity world. Um, to, to better discuss these things, like are these people working for the Russian government or for the Chinese government, for the Iranian government? Um, uh, yes or no, and to what extent? And do they always do so? How sheltered are they? You know, etc. So uh, we mentioned the kill switch in this real like uh, keyword. Uh, just the the note about money laundering. Yeah. Um, last note on uh, on this sort of weird permeable relationship between ransomware gangs in um, Russia. Is that the number one uh, cr- cryptocurrency exchange in the country is in the same building as like the office of one of the foremost ransomware gangs? Like they share a skyscraper. So it, it's it's just to kind of show that like there these these relationships can be quite cozy um, and just kind of down the hall levels of allowed. So at one point, right before the right when the war with Ukraine was about to kick off or just kicked off, uh, Russia put out, uh, you know, arrested um, uh, one of the ransomware gangs. It might have been Revil or Darkseid. I think it was Revil. Yeah, it was Revil. Um, and uh, there's a big video of it. It's very dramatic. They're, these guys are in cuffs. They've got bags over their heads, etc. But it's like, I would love to know the ending of that movie because I have no, I don't think we have any proof that these guys actually ended up in any kind of jail, especially because... They might have just been uh, voluntold to help out with the Ukraine effort after this. So who knows what really happened there. Um, but what they told the United States was, look, you should you should get out of our way. You should let us do what we want to do to Ukraine, because otherwise we're going to let these ransomware gangs just run amok. Um, and... <laughs> Which is like, well, how is that any different from what you've been doing before? But, but the tacit, uh, you know, the 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 tacit sort of shakedown aspect of that was, you know, you you better play nice with us, or we're just going to shelter every hacker criminal in the world, and we're going to turn them outwards at you, and there's nothing you can do about it because we have nukes, and you can't just like come in and black bag these guys. Um, so that's all very interesting. I do wonder, cause I don't know, because a lot of this presentation was first formulated before the invasion of Ukraine. I, and I still don't necessarily have an answer on this. It might take a while for us to get the answer on this, but how has this current recruitment drive happening in the, in, in Russia impacted that threat? How many people, especially like very smart people are moving to Russia right now? How much are they actually, um, shall we say, uh, you know, able to recruit? I don't even necessarily, since uh just as an example in march alone uh april 1st is the first day of like inter- of like national recruitment day in russia from march to april the number of tech people who fled uh russia in the fears that the border would get locked down was five percent of the entire sector in one month um that dipped down a bit i think when 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 it didn't look like that that draft was going to happen. Well, I imagine it's probably ticking back up again, too. So I don't know what their talent is. I wonder how soft the targets are in Russia right now. As far as that hacker army, um, they, they are a little bit suffering on the tech front, because people who have tech skills are the most like able to get out of the country. They are the most first. So it, it, I, I don't have a conclusion on this. It's just something I find interesting to watch um, with an eye to the long term, which is what is their tech sector and even their criminal tech sector looking like right now um, in the wake of all of this and now that they're not a, a desirable destination to go to maybe as a criminal uh, to avoid prosecution somewhere else. So... I I, I sort of, the promise of this presentation, obviously, was that we were going to get into ransomware specifically as a tool of cyber warfare. Um, So I wanted to run through a few recent fairly cutting edge examples of how this has happened. And while I will pick up on Russia a bit more, uh, just because the Ukraine conflict has kind of like brought a lot of attention on their cyber warfare um, activities and their cyber and their hacking activities, I will pick on a couple of other countries too. So we'll just quickly get, uh, one of them out of the way. There was an interesting case uh, of ransomware being used as camouflage by uh, Iranian um, government for you know government organizations. Basically, what they were doing was I would say almost the cyber work, like the cyber equivalent of um, assassinating somebody and then taking their wallet to make it look like they had been mugged uh, randomly, rather than that it was targeted by some sort of government agency. So they used ransomware to go after um, this the the victim in this case and uh but didn't actually like necessarily want a money they didn't need or want money what they did was they they encrypted all those files and then they went through them uh for the espionage um materials that they wanted and there's a lot of possible reasons why they they use specifically ransomware um to to encrypt all of this and to you know have and go through the motions of like making a demand and things like that because um Maybe it was the best tool. Obviously, money is a huge motivator, probably moves a lot faster than government. So maybe they were using that as one of the, the best ways to lock down those systems and get them in their own custody. They might have done it to hide their own government involvement. They might have done it to, um, to, uh, you know, basically, well, I guess those are the two reasons to hide. Um, so I thought that was very interesting just as a first sort of low-key example. Ransomware and, and, and cyber warfare, uh, ransomware being focused on... Um, money is still always going to be the dominant use, right? Uh, Because it is, that's what it's for. That's what the criminals who make it are after. It's what the primary motivator is at the end of the day. So uh, keep in mind, some of these are somewhat fringe examples. Um, But likewise, cyber warfare is almost always still focused largely on espionage. And there's quite a few reasons for that. I going into the Ukraine conflict uh, thought that we would see an uptick. I think many people did an uptick in like the sort of attacks that would actually shut down systems. but it still seems to be primarily espionage and and things like that, which and and trying to knock out satellite systems and whatnot. Uh, th- those seem to be the primary goals. Partially, it seems because like they don't stay down for long. It's easier to just mortar fire, uh, you know, a, a, an electrical grid rather than take it down with a hack. But also, there's a problem where it tends to spread. Uh, GRU has been noted several times of create, I think uh, there's been a couple of very high profile instances of the GRU attacks actually spreading beyond their intended targets. Uh, in Eastern Europe to the Western world and even to themselves. So uh, that's another reason why cyber warfare is this sort of like, we're going to take down your power grid uh, might not be the best idea. It might not be as common as we see. But to get back to ransomware, um, uh, there another insta- when we say that ransomware is being used in warfare, I want to also clarify that it's not always by nation states. Um, we have seen partisan activity uh, in Belarus before the war broke out in January, um, and at the time, I remember I didn't quite get Belarus's involvement, and I didn't quite get what the the partisans were trying to stop here. Uh, but it became clear after the fact that they were trying to stop the train systems from allowing Russian troops to transport be transported to the border, and uh, and and the and the state of that uh, country is such that that there's a lot of um, popular discontent with the current with uh, Lukashenko, the uh, the dictator there. Um, and uh, this was, and and those people, the Belarusians, uh, partisans were against the invasion of Ukraine for a variety of reasons, obviously. So what they had done was they shut down the rail system using a, from the sound of it, an off-the-shelf ransomware attack, which was very interesting. And it's interesting as a expression of how cyber warfare, kind of like going back to that privateer comparison, cyber attacks. Are a bit like privateer attacks and shipping, you know, naval attacks in that a individual or a small organization can punch above their weight class. Think Somali pirates, who can actually shut down the shipping lanes of incredibly powerful and and you know, well funded nations uh, with just a few fishing boats. Think about how these Belarusian activists were able to shut down the rail system using off the shelf ransomware tools. Um, and we're going to get further into that and how resource, resource, uh, limited this is. And, and actually, if, if you had the good fortune to be at Black Hat this year or to watch the keynote with Jeff Moss, he sort of spoke about this. It's actually really worth seeing because he talked about the superpowered individual, uh, the, the individual who has the keys to the kingdom in some of these, you know, Systems that de- determine how our world works, as far as you know, how websites, uh, you know, are there, like how a private company could theoretically take an entire country offline, as we saw with a lot of tech companies denying their services to Russia, and, and these are just small organizations. They didn't have necessarily the U.S. government's, you know, they, they just made a principle, you know, decision on their part. They weren't being told to do this necessarily. So, in this world, in this new ocean of the sort of the internet, think about the fact that you know, you could just be ransomware gang who, or a, a partisan group that is using ransomware tools um, to take out and to stop and to stymie the goals of major nation states, major powers, nuclear powers. And I just find that, you know, personally very interesting. Um, going back to Conti, so uh, another thing, uh, so we've now talked about partisans, small groups going against, we, we've talked about, you know, espionage by a nation. We've talked about how, um uh we've talked about how uh just individuals in places like belarus could use ransomware to turn off the goals of places of of larger powers but also how these this permeable nature this russian hacker army um this uh semi-criminal semi-state okay look the other way um stuff how it can actually congeal and solidify now Conti when they the Conti leaks happened because the Ru- the the Conti Russian dominant Russian ransomware gang said we are pro Russia. We are against Ukraine and we want Russia to win this fight and unfortunately they were all former Soviet bloc somebody in there didn't like what they were saying and said I minute Vita, um don't do that. We actually don't agree with you and they actually did by the way Conti pull back on those statements and say well actually Noah uh, we really are a political because apparently it caused Quite a bit of conflict internally, but again, you have now patriotic ransomware cartels who are who are choosing their targets based on their national alignment. Think Henry Every and um and uh and Benjamin hornigold choosing not to go after certain targets, maybe to keep themselves safer at home, maybe because they're actually powerfully motivated uh by their own country. Um, and they are using ransomware as a tool for this. Uh, and I, I, I sort of, my heart kind of goes out to anybody who might get hit by one of these gangs, which again, I think this will be one of the minority of attacks, at least for the near term. But imagine being like the guy in charge of the Belarusian railway and being told like, we want, we, we're not, you can't pay us to make us go away. You have to just listen to our demands. You have to tell Putin to get out of Belarus or we won't unlock this train, like, and it's just like, how the hell am I supposed to do that? Um, and 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 this could have happened with with Colonial. We were actually in, in the U.S. incredibly lucky that uh, the Colonial pipeline attack appeared to blink. The attackers blinked, and they did not want to try to hold out for a larger ransom. They were too afraid of the consequences. Um, because imagine if that had been someone like Al Qaeda or a, a, a terrorist organization that really did just want to drain that area of its oil and gas or who wanted political prisoners freed or who wanted some sort of policy decision to be made as part of the ransom. And you have no way of paying to make this problem go away. So that's just like sort of some future nightmare scenarios that are, are, you know, less than great. Uh, And just something that this tool of ransomware, this very basic return to form of extortion, I have what you want, kind of allows uh, these discussions to happen. Um, And finally, this is a little bit like, this is a little bit like partisans, but it's not because it's like not domestic, but there was also some rumors uh, of of people who were pro Ukraine taking Russian ransomware and turning them against Russian companies. So this is actually, I think, a Finnish group, maybe uh, from Finland, uh, but they basically took those again, those off the shelf ransomware attacks. They sent it, and they said, like, we don't want money, but we're going to lock down all your systems, Russian company, and are uh, and we are doing this because of Ukraine. We're putting it right there in the body of the of the message uh, that this is retaliatory for your invasion. This is activists. Um, Which is another fascinating, I guess, uh, sort of ominous use of of ransomware tools. Now, one of my earlier drafts of this, again, happened right on the verge of the evasion, uh, and I had been postulating for some time with this sort of uh, pirate-privateer-navy argument of how we should start thinking about ransomware hackers and criminals in general. what what happens when privateers become navy? Now, if you know American history, you know that our navy began, uh, John Paul Jones and things like that began as a privateer um, navy, with um, you know funded by individuals and basically given a charter saying just go after American targets. Um, what happens? What if that were to come back? Now, keep in mind, privateers is a very difficult. Um, Genie to put back in the bottle and it took until the mid-1800s for the European powers to band together uh, and say that they wanted to ban privateers uh, partially as a retaliation against the United States. I don't actually know if we're in that agreement. but, but there's a huge risk when you do things like issue letters of mark, which is basically saying you have blank check to go after anyone you want as a criminal, as long as you're going after our enemies, um, in this environment. Uh, and that is that the, the saying goes that, uh, wartime privateers are peacetime pri- pirates. You're basically training people to build their livelihood around attacking organizations, uh, for profit. And you can't necessarily control them when the war ends. Um, so I've seen some mutterings in the cyber warfare community. I'm mean, sorry, in the cyber security community around like, we should just be allowed to go after, um, Russian targets, for example, right now. And that's like very dodgy uh, for a variety of reasons. I think the history kind of illuminated with pirates and privateers uh, because, for example, what is the condition of victory? What are you going after? How do you know the system you just took out isn't one that like we actually, like the good guys had like an espionage, you know, bug planted in and that they were monitoring. So there's a lot of risks around that. Uh, And so I was like, ooh, you know, I was kind of ending this early versions of the presentation saying we should not like bring back privateers. That's kind of a bad idea. Well, then at the beginning of the conflict, uh, Ukraine raised an IT army, basically saying that they didn't want to work at cross-purposes with all the anonymous and all the people that they, who wanted to help out. And they invited them to come and help uh, ally with uh, Ukrainian interests and, uh, and work directly with them to fight back. Uh, I have not necessarily followed up on where that is Yet I don't even know if there is a place to follow that up with because it might be a long time before we find out where some of this stuff all ended up. Maybe it won't be until the history books, but it is very interesting to have gone from, oh, gee, I wonder what happens when these like sort of loose cyber uh, privateer armies maybe get formalized into more serious cyber navies in the future. And what will that look like in 100 years? Only to have this kind of news break like right around a week after I had kind of begun to postulate that. Um and that's really where it would have ended except two other things happened one was the uh conti ransomware gang began to go after sectors of interest to the russian government uh for example energy would have been the most sensible like just off the top of my head i thought of energy because of course they're trying to squeeze the global markets in order to make a case for themselves of um uh, you know, you should let us do whatever we want to Ukraine because otherwise, we're going to raise oil and gas prices uh, astronomically. But one I hadn't really considered, uh, and that I, I felt a little embarrassed that I hadn't considered, was agriculture, which is a notoriously under um, under secured sector as far as cybersecurity goes. And um, there might have been also remember that beginning of this when we we're talking about ransomware, uh, attackers tend to go after things that have a short Things that like people will die if we don't unlock this soon. And with the grain shortages caused by Russia and Ukraine battling it out, um, you know, agriculture became one more of those sectors that could feel squeezed that could lead to deaths that could lead to civil unrest if it wasn't resolved. So was it the russian government directly was it a privateer was it a patriotic hacker uh or was it just another criminal who just knew that agriculture was being squeezed and therefore they could make some money off of going after this it's not necessarily um immediately always clear but it is interesting that energy and agriculture uh were being gone at were 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 being attacked at one point this past summer um at, by ransomware gangs specifically uh and how those dovetailed with government interests of russia and uh and the final one, um, all of this had been fairly um, abstract as far as how does this actually have anything to do with warfare? You know, what 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 warfare being? You know, the uh, what is it that that quote um, by Clausewitz or whatever uh, projection for you know uh, diplomacy by other means? Uh, how is this actually stopping countries? How is this actually doing more than just inconveniencing people or stealing some of their data? Um, how is this actually catastrophic? Well, Costa Rican government got crippled. Uh, by a a cyber uh, attack, a ransomware attack specifically this uh, past earlier this year in April. Um, And this is where I I, I apologize for not having being as followed up on this as I should be, but um, I then moved on to other things but this is uh is this a harbinger is it at least a harbinger for small countries uh like you know the caribbean countries and things like that that they could be next on the target for you know getting squeezed uh if they don't have the defenses in place to deal with a ransomware attack maybe is this something we could see the oldest one of the oldest of crimes extortion being used between countries um you know to bring political pressure We are seeing ransomware as a tool used by nation states against nation states and against nation state interests in a way that when it first originated, it was mostly just used against smaller individuals, organizations, businesses to get money. Is this going to expand further? Uh, is this maybe one of the hidden tools we haven't been considering as far as what the actual future of cyber warfare would look like? Um, these are all questions I kind of wanted to pose to the to the wider community with this presentation. Um, but most of all, uh, just to... Highlight that these tools are being used in this environment, still in the minority of ransomware attacks. But who knows whether or not that will increase over time, especially for countries that maybe are financially squeezed. North Korea uses ransomware, for example, as I mentioned, uh, to to replenish its own, you know, to get around sanctions and to replenish its own uh, reserves. So. You know, it is a tool out there and tools are meant to be used and they are being used in ways that mirror some historical events, as I mentioned, privates, prior tiers, and feed into this larger question of what is cyber warfare going to look like? So I, I hope this was of interest to all of you. Um, I, I would love any questions you might have. Um, if you like those graphics, uh, credit goes to Cyber Reason. They are an EDR company. You should check them out. I'm no longer with them. Uh, and I, uh, uh, and whatnot. So, We'll just leave that there. Uh, And I I think we can go to questions now. So, yeah.
0: Uh. Hi, Maggie. Yeah, thanks. Um, Looks like we have two questions in the Q&A and I'll just go ahead and read them to you. Yeah,
1: I couldn't see that one I was projecting very easily, so. Yeah, sure,
0: no problem. Uh, Let's see, first one. If the human and technical issues that make ransomware possible are hard problems without immediate solutions, do you think regulation limiting the funding mechanism, namely cryptocurrency, is a potential approach to limiting the market incentives to these sorts of attacks?
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, I understand. So if we just stop using, if we limited cryptocurrency, could we stop ransomware? I am going to be careful with how I announce this because cryptocurrency people tend to be very passionate about cryptocurrency. But I will say I'm, I sort of see cryptocurrency from the perspective of like a cop who only sees cash, like when it's being used for drug deals, where you're like, I know cash has other good uses, um, and, and whatnot. But yes, if we got, if we all, everything was credit card, we could track everything and then, you know, maybe this problem would go away. I think it enabled it. I think it's more of a problem along the lines of, um, The maturity of cryptocurrency, you know, uh, the banking systems around, um, you know, cash as we know it, assets as we know it, have a lot of anti money laundering stuff going on. They've got a lot of anti criminal stuff going on. It's not perfect, obviously, but, um, it exists. And so I've seen some debates and discussions in the cryptocurrency community like do how do we make it so for example the money could be clawed back like it was with Colonial Pipeline how do we make it so that it doesn't end up in criminal hands which kind of belies the original point as a lot of people see it in cryptocurrency so uh, uh and just as a final note I know China like more or less banned cryptocurrency for a variety of reasons so it's part of the discussion I don't know if it uh, could it help probably um, is it worth it? I think that's a, a question for people with, who are more financially minded than me and more involved in all of that to to better hash out and discuss. But it's it, it, it's an accelerant for ransomware. I don't know if getting rid of it would just stop ransomware though. Um. Um. Uh. So I I can also just read the. Yeah, I can give copies of the slides, certainly. Um,
0: yeah, I had a real quick, just a real quick thing to add to that. How, do you know, like, have you seen, like, since the value of cryptocurrency has come down, has, has it changed? Has, like, there been less? Has that affected it at all? Or do you think it will affect it?
1: Unfortunately, that kind of fell right in the, the trough period I described of moving on from cyber reason. And uh, so I, I didn't quite follow as closely as I would have liked to how that impacted things. I know that there was a slowdown. Of sorts in uh, ransomware, which was attributed to a variety of things. Um, one of them might have been that defenses are just getting better on all right. of their targets. It could be insurance. It could be, uh, yeah, it could be cryptocurrency being less attractive. Um, right. But it, it, it's like that's the other thing too: is you can't always interview these guys to ask. Uh, maybe they'll just ask for more if the price has gone down. Um, so, yeah, I have to say, unfortunately, that's a I do not know. <laughs>
0: Great, yeah. uh, I'll I'll go ahead and read the next question. Okay, sure. Uh, sure. Do you see, do you see expression of values from criminal gangs as a sign of deterrence against being targeted by nation-state cyber actors? They have already figured out uh, how to evade law enforcement, um, like Europol and FBI, from a legal standpoint. But cyber command and equivalents in other nations could potentially reach out and disrupt their operations. Uh, if they could do so, if they had cause to do so
1: short answer yes uh, I do think that there's a variety of reasons why they would have these expressions of values like I said, the original one was like recruitment and being able to sleep at night and believe in their own mission and rally around their own mission but Yes, like Henry Every and like Hornigold, they didn't just, by the way, those guys actually did get a certain amount of clemency by their claims. It meant people would shelter them who might not have otherwise sheltered them because they don't, you can take shelter in England, right? Because like English people know you don't attack English ships um, and you're not just a blanket criminal. But in this case, yes, uh, it, it, um, both in the historical examples and today, uh, there is absolutely a very reasonable theory that they were kind of going, uncle. Like, please don't hurt us if you know we we're just criminals. we are not working for the Russian government. We are not trying to shut down critical infrastructure um please don't nuke us from orbit. like please don't just like put us on a list that gets like you know a SWAT team you know at our door or seal team six at our door uh, because that is there's two theories around why the colonial pipeline guys kind of backpedaled and freaked out. There is what they said that was the was, you know, um, reasoning which is like we're just criminals sorry we didn't know this was critical infrastructure we're sorry please don't hurt us uh which is what they said and then there is like oh uh the russian government did back them they either already got what they wanted which was seeing how to do this or somebody else was you know watching and got what they needed um or like they also realized that they were escalating further than they wanted to. So you can believe or not believe uh, Darkseid on whether or not um, they were working with the Russian government or not. But in either case, yes, there is probably a case to be made for them at least believing that it was worthwhile to plead that they were just criminals and that they were not you know, warfare motivated. Because that really is an escalation that... Actually, to just go back to Ukraine briefly, because I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the conflict going, where is the war? Like, why hasn't there been, you know, this cyber war that we've been promised for decades since, like, literally I came into the field and before. And there really is that question of escalation. Um, you know, do you really want to be right fighting on 20 fronts uh, if you start going after everybody who's aligned with Ukraine? Do you really want to, when you might have all your resources tied up and going after Ukraine in cyber warfare, be also defending attacks from US and things like that? And, and 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 there's a bit of a I think there's actually a bit more of a detente going on there than people than then may meet the eye at first. Um, more of a gentleman's agreement, more of a like, we're not gonna start, even if we could, we're not gonna necessarily start shutting down each other's power grids because like, where does it end? So Yes, I think there was a motivation there regardless, and uh, I think it's a really interesting question and, and worth mentioning. Again, a lot of this is kind of just postulation because we don't, we don't necessarily have those clear answers um, unless you are an intelligence officer. Maybe if you are an intelligence officer, first of all, like I'd love to learn more. But second of all, like, you, know, you might have answers you can't share yet. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, I do not know where the recording is going. Yeah,
0: I can answer that. Uh we will have this recording up on the uh on our website at www.sirius.purdue.edu. and is also on our it'll be on our YouTube uh channel page, which uh you could just Google Sirius on YouTube for that. say. Oh, uh, yeah, so thanks a lot. Um I guess we have another question about slides. Could could you share those with us? And I could, I could also post those to our website. Happy as to as well. Sure okay. thing. All right. Well, that's great. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, thank thank you so much. Uh, this was a great talk, and um, I'm really glad to uh, finally get you uh, uh, here to, to talk to us about it. It's been uh, a crazy
1: few months. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it's been great, but I'm, I'm really I'm really glad that we're able to work this out. So um, thanks a lot, Maggie. Uh, take care.
1: Have a rest of your day.